Hey, it's Kylie Gable, your host for another exciting Feminization Boudoir podcast from Candy Apple Press. This particular episode is our Christmas special, so we're going to take a couple weeks off from The Sissy's Mentor, which we'll be continuing next week. And we have three stories read by Mistress DJ, all with a Christmas theme. We're going to get started right away with the first one, which is called The Pageant which is about a little brother who annoys his big sister by teasing her about the Christmas pageant she's in and the revenge that her and some of the other performers take on him. So without further ado, here is Mistress DJ with The Pageant. The Christmas Pageant, written by Kylie Gable and Claudia Costa. The Christmas Pageant is published by Candy Apple Press. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. He felt so aware of everything. Tim Pearson's hand on the small of his back and the short skirt of the silver dress he wore brushing against his pantyhose legs. His feet were killing him after being in heels all evening. It was only a matter of time until they would have to kiss. Just holding hands was bad enough. This morning, he never would have imagined himself in such an awkward position. As they swayed across the dance floor, Jerry found himself now facing his sister and her friends. They smiled and waved at him, laughing at the embarrassed boy's reaction to his humiliating predicament. Cindy Magret pulled out her phone and began catching pictures of the mismatched couple in their dance, and somehow Jerry knew that things at home were about to change dramatically for him. His sister and her friends had finally had enough of his teasing, and now he would be the one to be teased. The Christmas pageant dance costumes were horrible. At least that's the way that Wendy felt about him. At sixteen, at sixteen, an unfortunate costume choice like the one she was about to suffer through could ruin your social life. Somehow, the red sequined outfits were both overly sexy for school and embarrassingly dated at the time. Tight, red, sparkly spandex ended at mid-thigh, but was cut with a jagged icicle-inspired hem that showed a ton of leg. Form-fitting and tight, but topped with sequins and white marabou trim on both the gloves and across the bust line of the strapless dresses. In a word, hideous. Even worse was the matching sparkly headpiece that was supposed to say filled with Christmas spirit, but really implied showgirl needs job, will work for food. The second that Jerry Tate saw the dance costume laid out on Cindy's bed, he was convulsing in laughter. He knew that she hated it for at least a half a dozen reasons, and he never missed an option to tease his older sister. She was two years older than he was, and now that they were in the same high school, their rivalry had really heated up. It wasn't that they didn't like each other, but they seemed to take a delight in making life miserable for each other. He called her Santa's slutty daughter and the Christmas tomato. He made fun of her legs sticking out of the short skirt, so exposed, and he joked about her and the other dancers in school. His razzing riled them up, but the ultimate sin was one afternoon. While he was stuck in the auditorium waiting for his sister's practice to end so she could drive him home from school, he took some very unflattering pictures of the girls in costume and posted them on the internet. The girls were livid. I'm going to Principal Ahern about this, protested dancer and student council president Cindy Margret. I'm just going to beat the snot out of my little twerp of a brother, proclaimed Wendy. Ladies, as much fun as beating him up might be, and as much trouble as we could get in with the social media bullying policy that the school has, I think we can do much better. I don't want him bruised or suspended. I want him humiliated. And I want him to know every time that he sees us in the hallway that we were the ones that did it to him, insisted Karen Lyons. Okay, nodded Cindy. I don't get how we do that, though. 
Neither do I, replied Karen honestly, but I bet something will come along. Nobody knew that fate was intervening that Tuesday afternoon when Wendy found Patricia Mathers sitting underneath the trophy case outside the gym. She was sitting with her head between her knees, crying. Wendy and Patricia were never really close, but she hated to see a fellow student in obvious distress. Now, Patricia stood out in school as the star athlete of the basketball and volleyball teams. This was partly because she was both blessed and cursed with an enormous physical size. Though she was only 16 years old, she stood 6 feet tall. Though she weighed about 200 pounds, she wasn't particularly fat, though she was a size 16. In fact, she was a very attractive girl if you could get past the fact that she was so tall and so muscular. Unfortunately, a hallway full of 5 foot 7 teenage boys never could. She was used to mocking, bullying, and hurtful name-calling, but what pissed her off at this particular moment was a cartoon making fun of her size that Tim Pearson was posting daily on his blog. As one of the most popular boys in school, Patricia saw no reason why he had to make her feel even more of a freak than she already did. As she explained her tale of woe, Wendy was appalled at what she was hearing. "'What are you going to do about it?' asked Wendy. <laughs> "'There's nothing I can do,' sobbed Patricia. "'The school will suspend him.' And maybe even expel him, explained Wendy. Then I become a villain and an even bigger outcast, sighed Patricia. What if there were a way we could show him how it feels to be humiliated, asked Wendy. I would love that, but how, questioned Patricia. Just leave it to me, smiled Wendy. Meetings were held and plans were hatched. The big assembly was Friday and would be followed by a Christmas dance. Wendy would be staying after and getting changed backstage rather than going home. That meant Jerry would also be stuck until the show at 7.30. This is going to be such a train wreck, sis. I hope Mom and Dad record every embarrassing moment, teased Jerry as they entered the auditorium. That mouth of yours is going to get you into trouble sometime, warned Wendy. I just call him like I see him, he laughed as his sister went backstage. A few minutes later, Cindy came running from backstage in her ridiculous costume. Jerry always had a crush on Cindy, and even that ridiculous outfit looked good on her. Oh, thank goodness you're here, Jerry. We need you, she called. Jerry had no idea what had happened, but he hurried to follow her. He expected some type of crisis, but instead he found a half dozen girls from the dance team staring daggers at him. Hey, girls, what's up? asked Jerry sheepishly. Your time is a brat, replied Wendy icily. Very funny, but probably not as funny as your show tonight, snickered Jerry, turning around to leave the girls to sulk alone. Unfortunately, he walked right into Patricia, who had snuck up behind him. She stood looming over his five-foot-four frame with her arms folded. Jerry couldn't help but be intimidated by a girl who was eight inches taller than him and outweighed him by seventy pounds. "'I don't think your sister was done with you yet,' sneered Patricia. "'Wendy, this isn't funny,' he whined. "'Oh, we find it hysterical, don't we, girls?' she teased. "'I'm in stitches,' replied Cindy, never taking her eyes off of him. Jerry didn't like the turn things were taking and decided to try to sprint past Patricia, but she was ready for him. As he lunged, she grabbed a hold of his right arm and twisted it behind his back. Her large forearm was then brought around his neck, squeezing hard against his windpipe. "'I told you that your sister wasn't done with you,' insisted Patricia, who dragged him back over to a dressing screen that actors use for privacy when changing costumes backstage. "'If you try to make a run for it, I'm going to put you over my knee and spank you in front of all these girls until you cry your eyes out. I won't, he pleaded. Get behind that screen and strip, quickly, she commanded. Jerry complied in such a hurry he almost fell over taking off his pants. Throw your clothes over the screen, demanded Karen, and we mean everything. 
As the clothes came flying over the screen, Karen picked them up and took them with her for safekeeping. Meanwhile, Wendy sauntered over to the screen and placed the underwear for her costume over the screen. There was a strapless red bra and matching panties, as well as a pair of very shiny pantyhose. The girls had also included a red waist cincher to help Jerry achieve a slightly more feminine figure. Don't worry, baby brother. Big sisters are always happy to share their things, she taunted. Oh, no, y you, you, you can't, he stammered. Oh, yes, we c c c can, taunted Cindy. After donning the underwear, Jerry glumly exited from behind the screen. As soon as he was visible, the girls began to take pictures. He wanted to run, but had no choice. Nice look, teased Karen. I told you we wouldn't have to worry about body hair. Patricia escorted Jerry over to the makeup mirror, and the girls descended on him like locusts. Wendy began to put his hair back so that it matched theirs, complete with a fake bun on the back of her head. Meanwhile, Karen applied the heavy makeup that was required for the stage. Heavy foundation was caked on his face, followed by dark rose blusher. She applied thick eyeliner and mascara darkened his eyelids. The crowning touch was a very bright ruby red lipstick. When the girls were done, they were actually taken a little aback. Wow, Wendy, I know your sisters. I mean, brother and sister, but he looks just like you do when he's made up like this, marveled Cindy. I thought he would. This just makes it much easier, she beamed. Makes what easier, demanded Jerry as Patricia paraded him back and forth across the dressing room area to get him used to his heels. Don't you worry your pretty little head about it. You have enough to worry about learning how to handle those shoes and looking pretty, teased Karen. I'm happy to help with your brother, Wendy. I just don't see how this helps me, observed Patricia glumly. I've got your back. Tonight, Tim Pearson will feel our wrath, assured Wendy. The girls had surprisingly little trouble substituting Jerry for Wendy. Not only did he know all the steps from watching the rehearsals, but Miss Cummings wasn't the most observant teacher and dressed up, Jerry did look a lot like a sister. Every time he thought about saying something, the girls reminded him of the picture they had and that Patricia would be very unhappy with him if he disappointed her. At one point, as the girls were making their final makeup touches before the show began, he thought he spotted an opportunity to make a break for it, but Karen was keeping a watchful eye on the reluctant dancing girl. Going somewhere? asked Karen from behind him, as Jerry began descending the six steps between him and the door to freedom. Let me go. I'm not going out on the stage dressed like this. Everybody will see me, he pleaded. Sorry, you embarrassed us first, she replied, without the least bit of sympathy. My parents, my, my teachers, even my friends are out there, he continued. So is Patricia. And believe me, if she sees you bolt, you will be more than embarrassed. Now, come up here. I need to touch up your lips, she insisted, unscrewing a tube of bright red lipstick. As the dancers took the stage, Jerry and Wendy's parents sat in the twelfth row, beaming with pride. Mr. Tate operated the family video camera, zooming in on the chorus girl that he believed was his daughter, as she danced her way through rocking around the Christmas tree. She's really good, whispered Mrs. Tate in excitement. That's because she's our girl, smiled Mr. Tate. On stage, Jerry's stomach churned in horror. He knew the routine, and he did his best to blend in with the other dancers. If he could just get through the show, his humiliation would be kept between himself, the girls on the dance team, and Patricia. He could see Cindy glancing over at him out of the corner of her eye and smiling in pure satisfaction at his embarrassment. Tim Pearson sat in the back of the auditorium next to some of his friends, bored with the show and waiting for the dance to begin. Wendy Tate crept over to the empty seat next to him, being careful not to be seen. Hey, shouldn't you be up there dancing, he asked. Of course, he knew she was on the dance team. His crush on her may have cooled off a little, but he had been interested in Wendy since they were in junior high together. 
Are you kidding? Those costumes, she groaned. I had my cousin Jenny take my place. She and I look a lot alike. Really? That's awesome, he laughed, admiring her ingenuity. Well, the problem is I owe her now, explained Wendy. That's why I came to talk to you. Me? Why me? he asked, puzzled. I told her I'd get her a date for the dance tonight, since she doesn't know anybody here. She's got a crush on you, so I thought if you could take her, I could square things. And you say she looks like you? Oh, yeah. We could be sisters. Okay, I'll do it, he smiled. Hey, she's only a freshman, so don't you dare try anything. I mean, you could kiss her, but no groping or trying to get anything. If it goes well, this could just be the beginning, she assured him. I'll be a perfect gentleman. Wendy sat back and enjoyed watching her brother dancing to Santa Baby on stage in front of a thousand people. She had the perfect dress for tonight. She was sure that they could make him look smoking hot, at least hot enough to get Tim very interested and give Patricia the payback she so richly deserved. Things at the Tate House would certainly be different now that a proper pecking order had been established. I hope you like that story. Those characters are a little younger than I usually use, but that's one of the reasons why there is no sexual conduct whatsoever. Um, moving ahead, I have been sick as a dog these last two days. I, um, food poisoning or medication, I don't know what it was, but it was two days of just diarrhea, vomiting, chills, and muscle ache. So I am way behind. I was supposed to have a story finished this week, that ain't gonna happen. I'm feeling good enough that I was able to do this podcast, but I have a Christmas newsletter I want to get out, I want to get my blog updated, and of course, what it's all about is the writing. So, hopefully I will be feeling better soon. Anyway, we have a true story. Um, I've, I've only had one of these already, which was Maria, which I read myself. This one is, again, read by Mistress DJ. It's a story out of my freshman year of college when... My feminization was in pretty full swing, and I was going home for Christmas break. And it just always struck me as kind of funny, because my dad's reaction to what was happening was so 180 degrees opposite from what was actually happening. So, I'll let you have a listen to it here. Here is The Long Ride. The Long Ride, written by Kylie Gable and Claudia Costa. The Long Ride is published by Candy Apple Press, copyright 2019, all rights reserved. Last night's Christmas party was still fresh in my head. I wore a sexy Santa outfit and had to gush over every present I got. Oh, that's such a pretty top. I love Victoria's Secret. How did you know? It had been such a feminine night, but there was one thing I couldn't deny about my captors. They were fun. After the humiliating present exchange, when it became a drinking party, I felt at ease. Unfortunately, that was yesterday. Today, my dad was coming to take me home for Christmas break, and Amanda and Deanna were in my room trying to replace some of the clothes I took home with girls' clothes. You're home for almost a month, Kylie. I don't want you going home and trying to act all macho and forgetting your place, warned Amanda. Deanna tried to stuff a couple of bras in my suitcase. I was going to push her away from the large blue duffel bag, but right before I could reach her, Amanda came up behind me and grabbed me under my arms. Using my own weight against me, she threw me over onto my bed with her laughing on top of me. I flailed hopelessly, trying to get her off of me. Just then, Howard Gable entered the room. He didn't knock. He rarely knocked. Howard Gable is not only my father, he was also the successful manager of a very important bank on Michigan Avenue. 
Millions of dollars were under his control, and he would stop at nothing to get what he wanted. As he entered the dorm room, his eyes instantly focused on Deanna stuffing the bras in my bag and Amanda and I wrestling on the bed. Hello, Kyle. Nice of you to get a date for me, too, he joked. <laughs> You're too funny, Mr. Gable, laughed Amanda. Why is youth wasted on the young? And why are two such enchanting creatures keeping company with my spendthrift son, asked Mr. Gable. You've got an amazing son there, Mr. Gable, said Deanna. I do, asked Mr. Gable. Surely you don't mean Kyle. One and the same, said Amanda. She gave me a brief but not passionless kiss on the cheek, reminding me to have a great Christmas, Kyle. Deanna followed suit before turning to my father and saying, Well, I see where Kyle gets his good looks. When both girls had left, my dad looked at me beaming with pride, saying, Quite a change from high school, my boy. What do you mean? I asked. I mean the girls, Kyle. I saw the one stuffing her bra in your bag. I was a bit mad when I saw some Victoria's Secret charges on your credit card, but <laughs> now I consider it money well spent, laughed my dad. Neither one is my girlfriend, Dad, I said. I know how you kids are today. No reason to settle for just one girl, just like that Pokemon you used to play. Only if you catch them right, they'll land upon their knees. You know, no girl ever got pregnant giving a blowjob, son, he said. Oh, God, now my dad was discussing blowjobs with me. I did not want to have this conversation. I would have even preferred the one where he told me as long as he was paying my tuition, I was going to be a business major. It was nice having him proud of me for a change, but if he knew what was really going on, he would have blown a gasket. We drove home and strained conversation. We made small talk about business and the bank, and he told me the same old stories about his college days and all the girls he betted before settling on my mother. He loved to talk about how he finally gave up and told her she won, and out of all the girls at the University of Illinois, he would be giving his heart to her. It was his idea of romance. So if you're looking for other Christmas feminization stories, there's another audio right here on the um, Anchor or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Find the Dressing Room Dupe story. That's a Christmas shopping adventure gone awry. Uh, you'll also find the whole complete audio on Clip Stores. In terms of books, there is April's Christmas, which I think you'd quite like. And, um, of course, Gift Wrapped, which is the book that these audios come from. And the second edition has probably got five or six more stories that we haven't done audios of yet. So, if you're looking for feminization with a Christmas bend, this is definitely uh, something I have for you. Give it a give it a check. Um, and in the meantime, my next story is actually a poem I rewrote. Twas the night before Christmas, also known as a visit from Saint Nicholas. Uh, this is now called a visit from Mistress, and um, it's just a little fun Christmas exercise. I hope you enjoy. A visit from Mistress, written by Kylie Gable and Claudia Costa. A Visit from Mistress is published by Candy Apple Press. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the city, not a creature was stirring, not even a sissy. The stockings were hung on legs completely bare, thanks to generous applications of nair. The sissies were nestled, all snug in their beds, with cuffs on their wrists and gags secured round their heads. Gagged with a handkerchief, I was bound with a rope. An orgasm for Christmas? I had little hope. When out on the stairs, 
I heard a distinct sound. Mistress had returned, her heels echoed off the ground. Trussed up in my bed, I could only listen, imagining how her black leather glistened. A dark goddess walking through new-fallen snow, my mistress had raised me up by bringing me low. My heart left for joy, I could hardly wait, for she had returned after finishing her date. With each little step, her shoes clapped on the stairs. I waited in silence, in hope and in fear. More wicked than witches, her talents they came. I thought of them all, though silenced I called them by name. With bondage, with flogging, with humiliation, with strength of will, she led me to feminization. From the top of the bob to the bottom of my shoes, there were panties and dresses and jimmy chews. My nails were painted to catch the eye. My outfits were sexy, showing cleavage and thigh. So up to the bedroom, my mistress, she came. Amused to see me where she left me, she called out my name. And then with a laugh, she pulled from the drawer a hard wooden paddle that left me quite sore. As I threw back my head and was turning around, the paddle collided with my butt and made quite a sound. She was dressed in all black from her head to her boot, and my clothes were pink and lacy. She thought they were cute. My backside burning from each painful smack, and my butt cheeks grew redder with each mighty whack. Her, her eyes, how they twinkled, her smile hypnotic. My longing for her was so deeply quixotic. Her black leather outfit displayed every curve, and my longing was intense to obey and serve. The wooden paddle she held tight in her hand, I knew I'd endure whatever she'd planned. She had a true body, more than body or face, but I knew those thoughts were not a sissy's place. I vowed that I would serve her best as I could, and I longed to hear her tell me that I was good. When she needed help, I would be there with aid. I'd be her wife, her sissy, and even her maid. She spoke not a word, but went straight to her work, making sure I was helpless, giving each rope a jerk. And laying beside me, gently touching my face, it felt like the perfect time and the perfect place. She stretched out her legs and tenderly kissed me. Cooing soft and gentle, she asked, did you miss me? But I lay there in silence as she turned out the light. Merry Christmas, sissy. No orgasm tonight. Well, that's about it for our Christmas episode. I hope you're enjoying everything we're doing here at Candy Apple Press. Um, it's kind of hard. This is a difficult format because I'm not really getting a whole lot of feedback. Um, if you are one of those people listening every week, I'd just appreciate you just dropping me a line and saying you were so I know that this isn't just going out into the ethernet with nobody actually listening to it. Um, of course, subscriptions and donations and all that stuff is wonderful, as is visiting my clip store or, or even Amazon and picking up some of my books. But um, I just hope that there are people out there really enjoying what I'm doing and what we're doing. We're trying to bring you the sort of stories that, well, we like writing, the kind of stories that the women who record these audios like like recording, and uh, generally it's a labor of love, but it's just kind of nice to know that it's appreciated. So, if you get a chance, just drop me a line and say, hey, I'm listening. That would mean a lot. In the meantime, I hope you have a wonderful Christmas if you celebrate it, and if you don't, I, I hope you have a couple, uh, couple of good days. I don't think I'm going to have a really big Christmas this year. I was kind of actually thinking I might try to sneak in to see the Star Wars movie, but it's still crowded. I, I think Cats is probably empty at this point. Anyway, have a wonderful holiday. I will see you December 30th for one last audio for the old year before we ring in the new year. So enjoy. 
I'll see you next week. And I keep saying that even though I don't actually see you. You'll hear me next week.